Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you an update today on the Apple podcast situation. I have some new information to give you, and it's not maybe the information I was hoping to give you, but it's at least better than nothing, and so we'll do that here coming up in just a few minutes' time. Uh, I know that doesn't impact everybody, but it does impact a lot of people, and so I'm going to make sure I am openly communicative i believe that's the word there communicative about all of this so we'll do that here coming up in a few minutes before that though let's talk about george and let's talk as little as possible about the sanford game now we can't go the entire day without talking about it all because there are some things you got to take from it but overall that game for george against sanford on saturday was just not very interesting i i think the game was a little bit of a mockery of competition just you know 12 minute fourth quarter completely overmatched opponent and i sort of I, we understand why the game is played we get all of the stuff related to that but saturday was not a particularly fun day I think for most Georgia fans because there just wasn't a lot to see on the football field Georgia won easily a little bit lackluster maybe and you just sort of turn the page and you move on but around Georgia on Saturday a lot is happening and that is really interesting I think the overall vibe related to Georgia really ought to be pretty good right now we are doing this show here today talking with the team that once again according to the AP poll voters the coaches cowards that they are and of course I'm joking when I say that but uh, the coaches didn't have the guts to move Georgia to number one but the uh, media did AP poll puts Georgia back at number one again on sat uh, on Sunday and that's where Georgia obviously finished the year last year that's where they are to uh, kind of near the beginning of the season here in 2022 there as well and some folks ask the question well why does this matter what do you care or maybe there might be some georgia fans who say well actually i don't want to be number one because of rat poison or whatever else that's going to come up with all of that listen here's the thing you gotta understand the reason why number one i think matters for georgia is i think it speaks to the erroneous evaluation of georgia prior to the start of the season what we told you a lot during the offseason especially in those final weeks of the summer leading into the start of the year was that it was totally ridiculous that everyone was sure that alabama and ohio state were both better than georgia you want to make the case for the buckeyes make the case for the crimson tide there was obviously a case to be made on that but the idea that it was unanimous that georgia was going to be eating scraps off the table of ohio state and alabama we said that was ridiculous at the time so the fact that after two weeks of the season this has adjusted itself at least in the the eyes of the AP poll voters and Georgia's number one again is only a validation of what most Georgia fans thought during the season or I should say leading into the start of the season that maybe Georgia wasn't quite getting enough credit and here's the other thing about the AP poll and kind of why this matters or at least why it's sort of an unavoidable topic y'all somebody's got to be ranked number one and it might as well be George. And this is what's interesting after two weeks of the college football season, where Georgia dominated Oregon and played, you know, kind of cupcake opponent on Saturday. But around the dogs, have you been seeing everything that's going on here? Like if you look at the preseason AP poll for a moment, that's the one that Georgia sets at the top of. And look at preseason number five, preseason number six, preseason number seven, preseason number 10, and preseason number 11 they've all already lost at least once we've only played two weeks in the case of notre dame they've lost twice but a&m has lost utah has lost baylor has lost oregon has lost and then of the other teams kind of ranked around georgia alabama did not look very impressive in barely beating Texas on saturday they were expected to win by three touchdowns ohio state did not look very impressive in its week one winning against notre dame and that win looks even less impressive once you saw how notre dame followed that up by losing to marshall Clemson, for the most part, spent most of Labor Day scuffling around with Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had lost its previous two games in the last year by a combined score of 100 to nothing. So, you know, even the teams around Georgia that have been winning have not always been impressive when they've done that. So why is Georgia number one right now? Because somebody needs to be, and no one has a better case for that than Georgia. Now, we all know how all of this is going to play out. And we know that Nick Saban, the school and the team that was at number one prior to all of this we know this is going to become a source of motivation ah they moved you away from number one nobody believes in you let georgia have that rat poison but listen at this point in time i'm just sort of fine with that i'm actually i'm actually fine with georgia having the number one next to its name that's the way that most of us lived over the course of the off season we kind of got used to that and yes that puts a different level of target and bullseye on your back but at this point in time y'all 
the days in which Georgia can kind of hide in the bushes and have nobody paying attention to them and having nobody, you know, uh, thinking that much about them, those days are kind of over. Those days are kind of over. Like, like at, at this point in time, Georgia is the reigning national champion. And Georgia did beat the preseason number 11, 49-3, two Saturdays ago. And obviously, the, the game against Sanford won't get much national attention. But in comparison to the other teams who are kind of struggling here a little bit and have at least had games that were uglier than they were supposed to be, at that point in time, that's only going to put more of a spotlight back on Georgia. And that's kind of where it rests. So, I think the question that we would all kind of like to have answered is, you know, is Georgia going to win the national championship again at the end of the season? Obviously, we can't know the answer to that. The truth is, even though Alabama didn't play that great this past Saturday, I'll expect them to play better in future Saturdays. In fact, we'll talk more about that here coming up later on the show. Same thing for Ohio State. I think they're still an incredibly dangerous team. So I'm not going to sit here and say after two weeks, I've seen enough to say that Georgia is going to be the national champion that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is this, is that there were some people, maybe it's like a skeptical person that's not a Georgia fan. Maybe it's a media person who just assumes that Kirby can't do too much too soon. Maybe it's that Georgia fan who doesn't want to get too boastful, too proud or whatever else. There was a version of conversation that took place this offseason that sort of centered around the idea of whether or not it was even realistic for Georgia to talk about repeating as national champions whether or not it was even realistic for georgia to talk about being back in the college football playoff being good as mighty alabama even though georgia had just beaten them at the end of last season to be as good as mighty ohio state even though ohio state didn't even make the college football playoff a year ago and i think we have answered that question we won't answer will georgia win the national championship again until january but the question of is it realistic for georgia to win the national championship again here in 2022 we have answered that question. That question is overwhelmingly yes. That Georgia, after two weeks, has proven, as it has won easily in both of its games, something that Alabama can't say, something that Ohio State can't say, something that really even Clemson, for the most part, can't say, that Georgia has proven that it is just as much a national championship contender as anybody else and just as much a national championship contender through two games this season as it was a year ago when it eventually won the national championship that georgia is real it's on the scene and this obvious regression that was going to take place because of what they lost off last year's team thus far that is not happening georgia is averaging more than 40 points offensively and allowing 1.5 points defensively that is what georgia is after two games now listen that is not to say that we completely know everything that Georgia's about right now, that we've seen Georgia in a neutral site game against an opponent from a weaker conference and a home game against an opponent from the FCS. This Saturday, Georgia goes on the road at South Carolina. And even though South Carolina lost to Arkansas this past Saturday, there is still a different nature of the competition when you're in a hostile environment, when you're playing in SEC play, as opposed to what Georgia's done through the previous two weeks. So there is still some stuff about Georgia we still need to learn, and Kirby Smart talked about that after the postgame on Saturday, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. There is still more he wants to see from his team, and maybe this trip to Williams-Brice Stadium on South uh, Saturday provides the opportunity to see that. But uh, Kirby was pretty direct in speaking about that after the game on Saturday. Let me let you hear it. How they're going to respond when it gets tough. You know, I mean, how they're going to respond when it gets thick, when it gets physical, when it gets fast, when they get tired, when they give up a touchdown. You know, the biggest concern is what's the response mechanism and uh, what, what, are they, what, what are they wired with. So that's what Kirby says he wants to see, and I want to see that too. I think most of us want to see that there as well. I think most of us actually crave Georgia to be in a tough spot. I don't know how good South Carolina is. Georgia's more than a three-touchdown favorite, nearly a four-touchdown favorite in the game. So the odds makers don't expect this to be close, but it is a little bit different kind of game for Georgia on Saturday. I think most of us are kind of ready for it. But here's the thing I'm also sort of ready to say about this there as well. I have seen enough here thus far to make me think that Georgia's going to handle that because that's what championship-level programs do. And I still think that Georgia is a championship-level program in a way that I don't know you can say that right now about any other team in the country. In fact, there's something you're going to start hearing me say a lot more here around here right now. And I think it's kind of a way for us to sort of focus the conversation here on our show and kind of uh, sort of train our minds what this season is it, it has, still has in store for us you can't pick the outcome you can't necessarily make the accurate prediction about how it's all going to going to end but based on what you've seen from two in, in two weeks worth of georgia here right now 
it is obvious what the end of season goal should be. It should be a national championship. That's what's realistic. Being back in the playoff and being in a fight for your life against the teams we've talked about before for that national championship. That's what should be a realistic end of season goal for Georgia right now. Anyone who thought there was going to be dramatic regression for the dogs, they've turned out to be wrong. Georgia won a national championship last year. They may win their second here this year. They can go for number two. And that's what we're going to talk about here around here. You're going to hear me use this hashtag a lot. You're going to see me throw up the two fingers uh, a lot because that's what it's going to be moving forward. Georgia right now has a chance to go for two in 22. Here in 22, 2022, to go for national championship number two, that to me ought to be the mission. That to me ought to be the goal. You can't win it after two weeks, but you can certainly indicate where you stand in the race for that, and nobody stands ahead of Georgia right now. They are number one for a reason. That's where they are right now, and that may also be where they are at the end of this season there as well. So that's going to be our hashtag. We're going to use that a lot. Go for two and 22. That's the goal. That's the mission. Georgia, just as much a national championship contender as anybody else right now. Eyes focused on that and ready for the rest of the season that's on its way as you go into SEC play there on Saturday. I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Pella Window and Door of George. We're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, podcast form. I'll tell you more about the Apple thing here in a moment, but obviously the uh, podcasts, of course, all across the fruited plain of podcasts. We're just happy to have you with us. Big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making it all possible. You know, they can equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors. Those are products that look better on the outside. That's what they make your home do. They feel better on the inside there, too hot day you keep that cold ac kind of inside the house where it's supposed to be or you keep that nasty weather on the outside where you don't want it creeping in that's what properly fitted windows and doors and the excellent product that pella's famous for that's what it's all about so stop by the pella showroom and put your hands on it feel it touch it or speak to one of the pella experts and have one of those no pressure consultations about the installation options and all the variety of products that pella can offer for you you know in survey after survey homeowners here in the atlanta area have demonstrated that they know that Pella Window and Door of Georgia, the most respected brand leader in this industry, and you can find that out for yourself there as well. And you can take advantage of some great savings too because between now and the end of the month, September 30th, you can get no payments, no interest for 12 months or 50% off all qualifying installations. So check them out in the Experience Center right there in Duluth or go online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. All right, we've got a lot to do. Let me just do this really quickly, though. So the Apple podcast issue from last week is still not resolved. Now, it may be a little better for some of you, and I'll tell you why. Because yesterday, I was just kind of watching the NFL. My phone dinged. I got a notification from Apple. And like so some of the podcasts that from last week just sort of weirdly just showed up on Apple out of nowhere. I didn't do anything. They just sort of popped up on there. They weren't in order in the feed, but they were there. So if you mess around with your feed, you may actually see some of those shows from last week. And I would encourage you to try to do that and find them and, you know, listen to them. I think we had some good shows. I think you'll enjoy all of those. But here's what I can tell you is that we're about to get this fixed because if nothing else, we're going to change the way in which we feed the show to Apple. So this is not completely rectified today. But I am growing in my confidence that we're going to have this fixed sooner rather than later. So once again, for those of you who've kind of helped us stay connected with some of our Apple podcast listeners who may have no idea what's going on, let them know that we are very, very close, I believe, to hopefully having this fixed because we're going to like just go, go scorched earth to make sure that happens. So um, that's on its way. That's going to happen. And it's not quite cleared up today. And I can't say for sure it's going to be tomorrow. But sooner rather than later, hopefully at some point in time this week, we're able to tell you, hey, the show is feeding to Apple exactly the way that it's supposed to. We've you know, been in contact with everybody, all the technology providers, things like that. And if we have to, we're just going to completely start from scratch in terms of how we feed that. Your subscription won't go away, of course. But in terms of how we feed your subscription, we'll get that fixed. So that's going to happen here uh, pretty soon. So I wish I could give you the news. It's all better. Uh, it may be a little better for some of you. Who knows how today goes when we post the show but I am growing in my confidence that eventually it will get better because we've got a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me 
on this case. Wish it was today, but feel pretty good that it's going to be there pretty soon. So tell those Apple folks to hang tight, switch over to Spotify for now if they want to, or maybe watch one of the video platforms. Uh, but we're going to have this show back delivered to them again very soon. I sort of feel pretty confident about that. All right. Um, so now we're going to bring on John Stinchcomb in a moment. We'll talk to John more about the current state of Georgia football. I want to go around the doghouse before that, presented today by our friends at AAA. And I, I do want to kind of focus in on the Georgia game against Sanford just for one sort of specific thing, because I do think there was I think there were a small handful of takeaways from the game there on Saturday. Thing number one, it's not nothing to me that Georgia pitched another shutout. That's nine shutouts, I believe, thus far in the smart era. No one's had more than that over the course of that span. This is a Georgia defense. You know, look, zero points against Sanford may not mean all that much, but when it's a zero on the scoreboard this week after giving up three a week ago to a team that's sort of be thought to be competing for a Power 5 conference championship, then you can read a little bit more into it. The fact that Georgia's only given up three points through two games, that kind of matters to me. Stetson Bennett throwing for 300 yards again also kind of matters to me there as well. Once again, the opponent's obviously a big part of this, but this is also four times in his last five games it's Stetson Bennett's thrown for more than 300 yards. And you say, well, it doesn't count to do that against Sanford. Go look at the other teams that he's done that against. That clearly does count. So I think that Stetson Bennett now is kind of becoming a 300-yard passer. That's kind of what you sort of think about him as doing when you do it as regularly as he's done it recently. That's sort of what you think of him as being. We kind of talked a lot about George exceeding 40 points per game for the season and through two games are kind of on pace to be able to do that so there are some takeaways that probably matter a little bit from the game on Saturday the injury situation of A.D. Mitchell is obviously another thing we'll be watching closely and hope to get an update from Kirby Smart on that later on today he said this past Saturday that Mitchell was fine could have probably gone back in the game if they needed him to but Smart has a tendency to sort of say that a lot and you know sometimes you're left to wonder how real that really is so we'll obviously listen for Smart today and then see with our own eyes when it is that Mitchell does play again. But the overall vibe I think you're getting here is is that the Mitchell situation is better than it could have been. He was working, for instance, in the stationary bike uh, on the sideline you know, after leaving the game there on Saturday. So that's another one of those key takeaways. But on the field, the thing from the game that probably mattered the most for me and the one area in which Georgia probably just sort of showed up as a little bit lacking and a little bit, you know, most fans kind of wanting to see more are those red zone woes. You know, Georgia got into the red zone and what Saturday was, and we said this in our Dog Nation postgame show from the UJ Bookstore on Saturday, that what you saw from Georgia in the red zone this game against this Sanford team is really a throwback to last year where Georgia just wasn't good enough. One of the few areas last year that Georgia wasn't stellar and wasn't elite were trips inside the 20 where you had to settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown. Georgia was just 65, 65th best in that category last year in terms of percentage of red zone trips that resulted in a touchdown and Saturday was a reminder of that after the Oregon game had been splendid when it comes to that particular statistical category so that's not great but one of the things I do think that Georgia fans are going to like is the fact that Kirby Smart openly acknowledged that yeah you know what that's one of those areas in which hey we need to be good and that wasn't an example of Georgia getting it done on that particular day this is Kirby on those red zone issues after the game on Saturday anytime you get red, red zone for us it was a, a priority for offense and defense to be elite in red zone you know we talked all offseason about our defense last year was pretty good in red zone offense didn't score the touchdowns they needed to and they did that in the first game and we didn't today so we'll have to go back and watch the tape and we got to get better at that because you can't win games just kicking field goals I mean, in some respects, the difference between really being great in the red zone and kind of being what Georgia was on Saturday may be only the matter of just kind of like a few inches. You know, if Georgia connects, if Stetson Bennett connects with Darnell Washington on that one pattern, you know, kind of in the back of the end zone, if he's able to come up with that, if Stetson's able to, able to deliver the football to him, you know, that feels a little bit better. There was a play right before that where you could have, you know, gotten the ball to Brock Bowers, just kind of missed there with that. I mean, you're only talking about a matter of inches away from a few of these scoring opportunities actually kind of coming to, to full fruition on that. But the results are what they are. Georgia did settle for too many field goals. And I think this is ultimately a reminder about, you know, if Georgia's going to be great offensively this season, this is where it happens, right? I mean, the red zone stuff we're talking about right now is actually relatively early in the game. You know, Georgia only scored three points after halftime on Saturday, but for the most part, that doesn't really matter. 
the the real scoring opportunities for Georgia when Stetson was in were kind of early in the game and that's true for the rest of the season there too you want to be a great offense and you've heard me say this before it's about early downs early in the game you know can you throw the haymaker early that ends the game so that you're not having to worry about anything in the fourth quarter you don't tack on points late necessarily you pile up points early and that's something that Georgia didn't quite do there on Saturday they scored 30 in the first half but, you know given the opponent uh, you would have had reason to believe it could have been even more than that. And if more conversions had taken place during the in the red zone, then Georgia would have had a much prettier number as a score next to its name. And ultimately, you know, the way to do that, I think, is to continue to be aggressive, you know, you know, throwing the ball to guys like Darnell and guys like Brock Bowers. That's what your tight ends are for. And we'll see if that improves itself, you know, this Saturday against South Carolina, future games that Georgia plays. But uh, certainly on Saturday, it was the first question out of the box to Kirby in the postgame press conference. Did not shy away from it. Talked about it more in other instances there, too. That was probably the most interesting thing about the game. That an area in which Georgia wasn't great a year ago it was also kind of lousy with this particular day there as well and when you start playing games that matter more against opponents who are better being better in the red zone is going to be a real key thing that is around the doghouse and it's presented today by our friends at AAA. and of course we love what AAA does for us seems like my family for whatever reason we're having to reach out to our friends at AAA on a pretty regular basis to come pick us up somewhere because we run out of gas we had a flat tire or in one case we even had an auto accident sometimes that kind of stuff just sort of happens and i'm glad to have AAA in my life for that but I also want you to think about AAA, not just for those kinds of things, roadside assistance, but also for their great insurance products there as well, including auto insurance, that one of the things you get if you get your auto insurance through AAA, you can qualify what's called enhanced exterior repair option. You can get original exterior parts from the manufacturer instead of the aftermarket parts. So when something like that happens to your car, you need body work done, you want like the truly superior you know kind of uh repair on that well that's what AAA is going to give you when it comes to that enhanced exterior repair option get the bright parts get the stuff from the factory get the stuff that, that your car is really supposed to be getting that's what AAA is all about and they want to do that for you there as well so you can call 833-718-2075 that's 833-718-2075 and you can find a branch near you for a lot more on that from our friends at AAA. All right, we talked a little bit about the Alabama game off the top of the program. You better believe before we're done today, we'll do a lot on that, a lot on the Florida loss and the embarrassing chapter in the sports media's history of all the hype they gave to the Gators and Anthony Richardson in particular kind of leading in to all of that. Uh, Scott Frost has been fired in Nebraska. Notre Dame is now 0-2. Uh, so much. A couple of key injuries for Georgia's opponent on Saturday. We'll address some of that there as well. We got a lot to do before we're done today. But for now, for more on the dogs, what went right, what went wrong, and just flat out moving on from Sanford, looking ahead to South Carolina and everything else from a very, very busy weekend in college football with the dogs back on top, number one again, going for number two in 22 uh we're feeling good about that here right now and looking forward to talking to john stinchcomb about that there as well so let's get ready to welcome him in and all of you here today on dog nation daily here presented by pella window and door of georgia from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so go for two and 22. That's the goal for Georgia. We don't know if it's going to happen, but we know after two weeks, it is a very realistic goal. And as realistic for Georgia as it is for anybody, Georgia, we think, rightly ranked number one, despite the fact that it wasn't maybe the prettiest day of all time against Samford on Saturday, but an easy win nonetheless. John, I don't want to spend a ton of time on the game against Samford because, frankly, I think there's more interesting stuff to talk about. But, you know, what was your overall takeaway? And I guess let me actually specifically start with this. I've had several people bring up to me when it comes to maybe what has been a little bit of a slow start for the Georgia rushing attack, you know, this thought that, hey, well, maybe it's the offensive line not quite opening up enough holes. And I've had enough people bring that up to me that I'm kind of rethinking my own opinion because honestly, what I think I saw on Saturday, John, was some holes that were open, some opportunities that were there. And I don't quite know that the uh, Georgia, you know, running backs necessarily always kind of, you know, burst through those holes the way that maybe they could. So I have kind of found myself at a little bit with odds with my own audience with some of that. You obviously know that position way better than I do. So when you look at a little bit of a slow start for the Georgia rushing attack this year, are you pointing finger towards the offensive line or the running backs in particular for why that might be? Well, I think it's a little of both. Quite honestly, I saw a number of plays where, you know, there were 
breakdowns up front, and there there wasn't a lot that the running back could do with it. And with that said, I can think of probably just as many plays where I felt like um, maybe the, the back wasn't patient enough or missed the cut and tried to force things on a bounce. So it's, it's you know, like everything else, you have to work in as a unit. You have to work uh, in conjunction with one another. And when it doesn't happen, you have dysfunction and, and certainly aren't maximizing because and this group, with the talent across the board, offensive line and in the running, you know, running back position, it should be producing more than what it has. So I think there's uh, justification in that criticism, and there there needs to be progress made. And um, you know, many times when you come back as players at, at the end of the game, and you're watching the film. It's it's one individual breakdown, and very rarely is it the same guy time in and time out. Otherwise, you find a new guy, right? Uh, but with with this group, that's kind of been the case, and you have to be able to find the plays that you like, understand the schemes that guys can execute on well, and I don't think Georgia's found that yet. No, I think that's uh, probably a fair assessment. Uh, you know, beyond that, what did you think of the game? You know, 300 yards passing in for Stetson Bennett, I think that's a good thing. Pitching a shutout, even against this opponent, I think that's a good thing. But beyond that, the game just sort of feels a little bit like a non-entity to me. I don't know that I'm beside myself in anger about any moment from it. I don't know that I'm high-fiving my friends about any one moment from it there either. I mean, I think it's – and listen, I, I, I love Kirby's respect for his mentor, and I like the fact that Kirby has true friends. I think that's important for him, for a guy that burns the candle you know, on both ends as hard as he does. I also thought the game was a little bit of a mockery of competition there on Saturday, 12-minute fourth quarter when the game was only 30 to nothing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the overall vibe for me from the game wasn't great, but I don't know that it means all that much. Yeah, it felt more like a glorified scrimmage, if you will. I've never seen a game played, what, 57 minutes? So uh, pretty unique, uh, various ways. But it, 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 it accomplished what Georgia needed to. It stated that they were, they were clearly one of the best teams in the country. They handled their business, but it wasn't a crisp performance. Uh, and that... That's across the board. Uh, I think what we're seeing is a a more veteran presence from Stetson Bennett. I think he he makes some really good throws, but I don't think he was on his A game on Saturday. I think there was, you mentioned it earlier, the overthrow with Darnell. There were some high balls to Brock, a couple of which he brought down. But it, it wasn't as crisp as, you know, obviously week one performance, seven straight drives that end in touchdowns and you felt like man is has there been a more complete performance from a team in week one against what should have been a a decent opponent who this week scored 70 points so i mean i think there's uh that's not for nothing if you're keeping track of what oregon does throughout the season which i think we'll all witness them kind of work their way back up in the rankings just because of the competition they play. With that said, for Georgia, um, this was a game where they handled their business, but it certainly wasn't their best performance. And I think that's uh, you can chalk that up for a number of reasons. Um, and Part of it is the, the competition that you play. I think that's exactly right. And you mentioned the rankings there a moment ago. Georgia back at number one in the AP poll. And, you know, John – I think my biggest takeaway through two weeks of watching, obviously, Georgia play, but also watching everybody else that Georgia's competing with is it is absolutely realistic that Georgia can win the national championship again this year. And I think for some people, there was a wait-and-see attitude about that because they did lose so much. And Georgia was kind of a party crasher a year ago, kind of breaking through at a level we hadn't seen Georgia break through at at quite some time. And so maybe Georgia was dealing with more skepticism than some national champions might about – you know what they're going to follow that up with here in 2022 but you know Alabama didn't look great against Texas on Saturday Clemson didn't look great against Georgia Tech on Labor Day Ohio State really didn't look great against Notre Dame and that seems even more suspicious now that Notre Dame is 0-2 that somebody's got to be number one there's no better case for anybody but Georgia here right now but beyond that you know there is also I think a very real chance that's where Georgia is at the end of this season there as well I'm not going to pick Georgia to repeat necessarily I'm certainly not going to guarantee that's going to happen but I'll absolutely tell you John it's as realistic a possibility now as ever completely agree and I think that's where it should be I think Georgia is ranked number one and that's 
a position that they've earned. There's no team in this country uh, that you would feel better about after two weeks. I, I just looking at all the top names across the board, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, um, they all have had those performances where you see the chinks in the armor. And I agree in the assessment that there are, there are some talented teams out there that have not played their best ball. And by the end of the season, you're going, man, this they've got that machine rolling and, and are looking the part, which I think is almost a cautionary tale for Georgia because – Georgia has the talent. I think the, the concern is how do you replace as many players as they've lost? And after two weeks, you got to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I mean, the depth at, at a number of positions of guys, wide receiver included, where you're just rotating them in one after the next, and they all seem like real playmakers. And the same thing on defense with um, some new faces and because you're replacing so many different people, uh, so a lot of young guys that you're going, how do they transition from high school into this SEC level of football with the expectations through the roof? And they seem to be doing that pretty well. And I think the caution there is Georgia has played good football, and we will play better teams than the ones we've already faced. It's how do you keep that level high? How do you keep the execution um in that degree that it's going to demand when you're playing in those big games. And, and Georgia hasn't had to face that, and that's to their credit. Um, but I think you look at other teams that have had talented rosters, don't have to go far. Texas A&M and Notre Dame both have talented players on their team. But, man, um, you've seen the struggles from Notre Dame two weeks in a row, and then Texas A&M lost to a, a um inferior in talent on on paper team with App State, but their App State believes in what they're doing. They play hard and we're executing at the at their highest level. And Texas AM, despite their talent, hadn't found that. So uh, it's it, it's a combination. It's coaches getting the most out of their players, getting them in a position to succeed, which I think Georgia's done an exceptional job of. Um, and then the players executing that plan and until you get all those pieces aligned just because you have one or two boxes checked if you can't coordinate it then you don't have much to go from and you can see the dysfunction that can cause so uh, the the future is super bright for georgia there's not a team that i would want to trade places with but there's still a heck of a lot of football left to play and i don't i'm not sure how much the alabama Texas game you got a chance to see but i think one of the most telling moments in that game is you know, late stage, looking at a fourth and one where Bama, you know, kind of get that and, and you know, essentially end the game. They can't do it. They're, they're in shotgun. You know, they're not getting the push with the offensive line. And listen, I'm going to talk more about this later on. I don't want to overreact to this because Alabama plays a bad game in September by its own standards almost every single year. So maybe that's all this was. I mean, I, I have no doubt that Alabama will play better in the season they played there on Saturday. But there are clearly some things that program has become that are not great. They are not very tough right now. The you know traveling you know uh, band of all stars they've brought in out of the transfer portal. I'm not quite so sure how all that's working out right now there either. So even though eventually I believe Bama is going to play better than it did on Saturday, there have been some alterations to that program that Nick Saban has patted himself on the back for making. And John, I'm not so sure those are changes for the better. Well, it certainly hadn't panned out that way. I mean, you look at uh, chemistry so far, and, and Alabama does not have chemistry. You yeah. look at discipline and identity of that program, which has been a cornerstone of Alabama, and you have 15 penalties, a lot of them boneheaded plays that come from you know, some of their stars. And uh, you think, man, this, this Alabama team isn't the scary juggernaut that they seem to be on an annual basis. That The offense... Um, I don't know if they found that replacement for the playmaking ability, especially on the in the wide receiver room that they've had. And and when you have uniquely, truly gifted, talented, elite players like Alabama has had specifically in the wide receiver room, they always feel like they're one play away from either breaking a game wide open or getting back into that fight, which you know Georgia has has seen all too often in those big game moments. 
We haven't seen that from the Alabama wide receivers yet. And, and quite honestly, the offensive line for Alabama uh, hasn't been much better. So th- they have a lot of uh, questions left to answer uh, for a team that, that everyone had slated as the number one team to beat this season. I, I certainly think that Alabama's, you know, certainly uh, going back to work this week and Sometimes that's a good motivator for a talented group, but man, they do not have the chemistry and they do not have the, the discipline and execution that usually uh, an Alabama team is seen as a staple of, of their identity. I want to finish with this real quick. You look ahead to Georgia on Saturday against South Carolina, and we're obviously talking a lot about this throughout the week. I think the goal here is to take what's supposed to be an easy game and make sure it is as easy as it's supposed to be. And, and for me, it circles back to what we began our conversation by saying, Georgia on the ground. Listen, this is not going to be a ground-and-pound team, and I don't think anybody wants to see three yards in a cloud of dust. But against South Carolina through two games, one thing the Gamecocks have been terrible at thus far is rushing defense. They're bottom of the SEC. They're giving up like 248 yards per game on the ground right now. John, Saturday is the day for Georgia to assert itself with its rushing attack. Adding that to what I think is, you know, even with some red zone issues against Sanford, a pretty potent passing attack. But you've got to add the running game to that there on Saturday. Beyond that, what else is interesting for you going to Columbia, a place I know you know can be a tough place to play? Yeah, well, I, I expect it to be pretty loud early in the game until hopefully uh, you've silenced the crowd because – that's actually a really fun stadium to play in. Uh, it feels like the, the crowd is right at the edge of the field, and uh, especially early in the season, they're still pretty raucous before you know all the dust has settled and they realize their team isn't probably what they'd hoped it to be. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, it's an opportunity for Georgia to continue to build. And a good, your first SEC opponent, right, where uh, you, you're wanting to – again, cement that flag as in we're the top dog. We are the cupbearer, if you will, in this in this side of the conference. And um, every other team needs to know that Georgia has not lost a step. And uh, so you're continuing to build. What I'd like to see is, is more execution on offense, uh, similar to what we saw in week one. You, you saw the elite level of performance seven straight touchdowns is a tough feat uh to accomplish and to see that sort of efficiency out of week one um if you can do that again in the sec that's a that's a big deal um and really with stetson i I think that's what you're looking at with i i i fully expect that there's going to be a heck of a lot more games by the end of this season where he's thrown or attempted passes over 30 times, what was it, two or three times last year in the regular season? Yeah. And that's probably going to become a mainstay. And if you can build in um, a rushing game to kind of complement that, this is a great week to get healthy. We all know that South Carolina's rush defense is, is pretty poor, um, and that's an area where Georgia can grow and, um, and, and – create a little more um, challenge for a defensive coordinator as they prepare for Georgia. So I'd love to see them get healthy, if you will, on uh, in their run game. But I think this, this offense this year, the identity is going to be uh, we have more trust in Stetson. We think he can do more with the ball. And we're just trying to build the run game to complement that and keep defenses more honest. John, good stuff. Thanks for being here uh, today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Always love your analysis. Fun to hear your brother Matt on the call there on Saturday there as well. So we have had a lot of stench combs. Oh, by the way, I got to ask you: Did you see? <laughs> I should ask this earlier. Did you see the moment in which Matt was doing the stand up prior to the game, kind of in the uh, sort uh, of the, the Georgia tunnel, and Kirby Smart kind of politely and gently moved him out of, the way? out of the way? That was really Absolutely. funny. Text thread together a couple other dogs and got a good laugh out of that. Get out of the way, Matt. I mean, do we don't have time for media slowing up the team in the tunnel? <laughs> that so. was really funny. Uh, really good stuff. That was good. Well, John, appreciate you being here, and we'll uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Always appreciate it. Go dogs. 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, maybe sometime this week we'll uh, maybe show you some of that. It was really kind of funny. You know, Matt's doing this. And it's kind of a cool-looking stand-up, right? Because you've got the smoke in the background. you got the uh, the stuff going on there. I don't know if Georgia came out a little sooner than he was expecting or or kind of how all that played out. But uh, Kirby just kind of nudges him to the side and kind of keeps right on going. That was uh, – that was pretty funny to uh, be able to see. It's always nice to have, you know, good SEC people doing these games. Uh, you know, people who, you know, even if not, obviously Matt's a Georgia grad, and that's always kind of a cool thing. But just, you know, when you have the broadcast team that, you know, college football fans that are like sort of deeply entrenched in the topic, it's always great to see. And Matt obviously always does a good job with that. And Matt actually joined us last week. We had double the stench combs in the show last week. Matt was on as a preview to the to the game that he was going to call. That was uh, nice to see. And, of course, Georgia get ready to go on the road this Saturday at South Carolina. We'll continue our coverage of that. Speaking of being on the road, we're going to be on the road heading towards Port Canaveral here very soon for our second ever cruise with Dog Nation with our friends at Royal Caribbean. And that's something we want you to be a part of there as well. Uh, it's the time to get booked up for this, for this right now. Many of you have already done this, and it's great. So I want to encourage you to go to the website, royaldogs.com. That's the website. Our friend Jessica Slater's got that set up for you, and you can learn all about it April 24th to the 28th. We have a big draft party on that final night there. That's a Thursday night. So the cruise kind of goes, uh, you know, from like a Monday to into a, you know, a Thursday, getting off the ship there on Friday. Uh, so that, that's what it is, April 24th to the 28th. And we're going to have a lot of parties while we're on board, a lot of special events for you and all the folks from Dog Nation who were there. What we did last year on the Independence of the Seas was so much fun, and this one this time going to be bigger and even better, so we want you to be a part of it. So you can go to the website, royaldogs.com, find out more about that, or give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and be a part of our second ever cruise with dog nation or do like i'm doing and going ahead and you know getting some travel book for me when the season's done taking a quick getaway in december taking a little longer getaway in february kind of post signing day and a way to kind of celebrate what we hope is a uh, another great season as georgia goes for two in 2022 with the uh chase towards the national championship once again we think uh when that's all said and done we'll celebrate there so talk to Jessica, get your World Caribbean cruise going, and be a part of the Dog Nation cruise coming up April 24th to the 28th on Independence of the Seas, visiting NASA on the Bahamas, visiting Perfect Day Coco Cay. We want you to be a part of that. Now, we've got a lot to cover here, cruising around the SEC with Royal Caribbean, and I'm going to try to hopefully not spend too much time on any one thing, but you got to cover a lot of great uh, bases here. Alabama did beat Texas, but it was not nearly as impressive as most of the experts thought it was going to be. And my caution to you here is don't overreact to this too much. I mean, as we said last week leading into the game, that there are two templates that are firmly in place for Alabama in most seasons. They play a week one big non-conference game. They blow that team out. And then sometime after that in the month of September, Alabama almost always plays a lackluster game that kind of ends up being kind of a focal point rallying point for the team. It's amazing how much you can set your watch to that in recent years under Nick Saban. September has kind of played out the same way almost every single year. However, what we said going into the Texas game is that this game was a little bit different because it was week two. It was a true road game. And so you were left to decide, well, is this game against Texas? Is this the non-conference game in which, which they always blow teams out? Or is this the September game in which they kind of stumble and play around a little bit? Well, as it turns out, we guessed wrong. We thought it was going to be the blowout game that Alabama always seems to have when it takes on a name brand non-conference foe. But instead, this game to me felt a little bit like what happened for Alabama at Florida last year, 2014 and 2015, when it lost to Ole Miss. There have been some scuffles against like a South Carolina in the midst with all of that. That Alabama, even though it's almost always a great team, has a game somewhere in September where they don't typically play great. And I think there's probably a strong likelihood that moving forward off this Texas game, that Alabama will refocus itself. As I said before, the most predictable thing in the world is they're going to use not being number one anymore as a rallying cry. But honestly, those days are over. Those days of, oh, yeah, you go ahead and make Georgia number one. Well, guess what? Georgia finished number one last year. So you don't get to play that game and pull that card if you're Alabama and Nick Saban anymore. We think they will play better, but I think it's also fair to say that some of the stuff that Nick Saban has devoted the late stages of his career to I'm just not quite so sure how all that's working out right now. This is not a physically tough football team, and Alabama used to be. Y'all, if you're not physically tough in what is a violent collision sport, 
you're going to pay the price for that at some point in time. It is not a coincidence. The same team that deals with a lot of injuries also can't convert a fourth and one. This is a collision sport. If you've got small, thin, frail players, they're going to be more likely to sustain injuries over the course of a year, and you're going to have a harder time getting a yard when you need to. You're not going to be in uh, a formation with a quarterback under center trying to get a quarterback sneak because you're afraid that Bryce Young is going to get hurt if you do. And so, therefore, you go from the shotgun and you play finesse and you play soft. And you can't even push around Texas, who gets pushed around by everybody, Kansas included, a year ago. That was not a great look for Alabama. And I, I got to tell you, thus far, you know, transfer of Palooza and Nick Saban's embrace of the transfer portal. How's that going for you? How's Eli Ricks looking for this Alabama defense right now? Uh, how's Jermaine Burton looking for this Alabama offense right now? Listen, I'm not going to pick on Burton. I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't do all of that. But, you know, this idea that. Alabama was going to take a player that had been good at Georgia. And that's what Burton had been. He'd been a good receiver at Georgia, about 500 yards receiving last year. That's a good player. That's a valuable piece. You know, if Georgia had him, they'd be better with him right now to go along with the other receivers on this roster. Burton's a good player. But the idea you're going to take a good player and turn him into a great player because he's in this Alabama system, y'all, that's hubris. That's arrogance. And that's not quite the way it works. Now, it's one thing to go to a guy like Jamison Williams, Ohio State a first-round level talent playing behind other first-round level talents. And if you promise him playing time, something he wasn't getting in Ohio State, then you can leverage that to your benefit. But when you've seen a guy get plenty of playing time and the stat lines only average, the idea, we can make it great because we're so great, we're so smart. I'm sorry, that's just a level of arrogance. And by the way, compare the performance of Bill O'Brien right now as coordinator. How is Bill O'Brien working as offensive coordinator in comparison to Steve Sarkeesian before him? And even if you want to say, well, the 2020 version of Steve Sarkeesian benefited from a pandemic year in which nobody was playing defense, that's fine. What about Mike Loxley before that or Brian Dable before that? Even if you want to stretch back to the, to the Lane Kiven years. If you're an Alabama fan, how do you feel about Bill O'Brien as your offensive coordinator right now? I'm not quite so sure that O'Brien, even though he had credentials of having been an NFL coach and you know, uh, you know all the th- things that go along with that, I don't know that Bill O'Brien is a very effective follow-up as offensive coordinator right now to what previous Alabama OCs have been. Now, I'll reiterate, I think Alabama's going to play better moving forward. And by the end of the year, this Texas game will be very much in the rearview mirror, and they're going to be a big-time foe and a big-time challenge for Georgia, maybe in December and maybe in January again after that. That's all very, very real, and I can't promise you that Georgia wins when it plays Alabama. I'm not going to oversell this. What I'm telling you is – the same stuff that made Alabama eh, a little bit deficient last year and prevented it from winning a national championship, that same stuff still exists. They are transfer dependent and they are soft. And even as they get better, those two things are going to remain true. Uh, speaking of issues, <laughs> Texas A&M wishes it was as lucky as Alabama is. Obviously, what happened against uh, Appalachian State is truly an embarrassing loss. And one of the things that you hear me preach a lot is don't overreact. You know, don't don't make too much of any one thing. Y'all, it's not an overreaction to say that what happened for Texas A&M against Appalachian State on the heels of a week one game, which they didn't play that great. This is troubling. And the spotlight is directly on Jimbo Fisher, because here's the deal. Like the thing that you hire Jimbo Fisher for is his offensive mind. This is a guy that had developed a lot of first-round draft pick quarterbacks, and when he had Jameis Winston, he's winning a national championship. But all of a sudden, 2013 starts to feel a long time ago, and I know that I'll get grief from my audience on this because I have talked up Jimbo. The truth is I'm not completely changing my mind on this just because this day was bad, but I'm also going to pretend like this day wasn't bad just because it doesn't go well with what I previously said about Jimbo Fisher there's a chance that I'm just wrong. I'm not quite ready to completely surrender on this yet, but this was eye-opening. And to me, the most appropriate comparison here is Gus Malzahn and Auburn. Because at one point in time for Gus Malzahn, I think the thing that people kind of came away with is your offense is not working. We need you to bring in somebody else and run a different offense because your offense is not working. But at that point, you're left to wonder, well, when you hired Gus Malzahn, Part of the reason you hired him is because he was bringing this offense with him. That's what you're getting when you get Malzahn. It's a level of of coaching acumen on that side of the ball. And you didn't hire him to be a CEO head coach because that's not what he had experience with. What he had experience with was being an offensive play caller. But if you no longer trust him as that, then do you trust him as your head coach anymore? 
And honestly, I think with Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, it's a similar level of conversation. Like I said before, I'm not throwing him out as of yet. It's still an overall pretty talented roster, and he gets some credit for how that that roster has been compiled. But Jimbo Fisher was hired because he is a quarterback-minded, offensive-minded head coach. But if you don't want his offense anymore, and at Texas A&M you shouldn't because it's just not working, then do you really want Jimbo Fisher because – the CEO-style head coach has kind of never really been what he's been. He has been the offensive-minded head coach. I'm telling you, this is a concern, and the roster is good, and maybe they'll eventually switch over to Max Johnson, a quarterback. Maybe they'll start playing better or whatever else, but they can't score. They can't score at all, and that shouldn't be the case. Even, even with what they have right now, they ought to be doing more offensively than they are. This is a pretty big problem. I don't mind admitting that. Uh, the Florida hype train totally derailed here, and this was fairly easy to see coming. We told you they were going to beat Utah. Just That's still a Pac-12 team on the road in the SEC. We didn't make too much of that because that's what SEC teams are supposed to do when they host Pac-12 teams. They're supposed to win. But the stuff being said by Anthony Richardson all last week was just absolute lunacy. And I don't blame a Florida fan for being a Florida fan and talking up his quarterback, but I do blame people who should have known better who were also talking up Richardson there too. Listen, Dan Mullen is dumb, but he's not stupid. We've said over and over that one of Mullen's biggest mistakes was that he didn't probably turn over and trust Richardson sooner because he just bet too frequently on Emory Jones, a quarterback that's fairly obvious was not going to be able to get it done. But once again, there had to have been a reason that Dan Mullen, who saw Anthony Richardson every day, didn't want to play him last year more than he did. And for the recruiting industry, who didn't have like a stellar sort of, you know, you know, particularly high you know evaluation of Richardson coming in, they could tell how big he was. They could tell how well he ran. They could tell how well he threw the ball. But once again, that's all kind of baked into the price when it comes to Anthony Richardson. There's clearly other things going on there, despite the the sort of prodigious talent, the, the the physical gifts. There's clearly more going on there. And I think on Saturday against Kentucky sort of showed you that. Y'all, Kentucky was with it, without its two best running backs. They still went into Gainesville and won the game. Florida is no better than an average football team. An average football team in the SEC is still capable of being a good Pac-12 team in its own stadium. But the idea they're going to build on that going forward, that's just not necessarily the case. And this was a you know, a pretty bad day from Florida, but it was also fairly easy to see coming just based on, you know, the overreaction that had been in place for, uh, you know, for so much of the uh, last week. Now, a game that I was not as correct on was Tennessee. I sort of thought Tennessee would have a little better showing at Pitt on Saturday. They won the game, and it's a good win. You're getting a victory against a team that beat you a year ago in your own stadium. I sort of thought Tennessee might have a little bit more of a chance to flex on this. The truth is they were in a fight and kind of lucky to win, you know, lucky to win this going in overtime to win it by a touchdown. Uh, they still covered the spread, but but it's one of those where I sort of thought Tennessee might win this one by a couple of touchdowns. So Tennessee wins. That's good. I don't quite know they sent much of a message on Saturday. I sort of thought they would. So, you know, my overall picks record is going to say that I got this one right but the, the honest truth is I sort of expect a little bit more from Tennessee than we got on Saturday uh, South Carolina lost at uh, Arkansas gave a pretty good fight here but Arkansas is just a good team um, and that's that's just kind of all there is about that and now when you start looking ahead to next Saturday for Gamecocks hosting Georgia you'll keep in mind a couple of injuries here South Carolina going to be without at least two starters on defense the defensive end Jordan Strachan he's going to miss the game the linebacker Mokeba he's going to miss the game there as well uh there's a couple of other injuries too got like Alex Huntley the defensive uh, lineman uh, whatnot but two guys that we know are hurt and we now know based on Shane Beamer from last night they're not going to play the defensive end Strachan the, the linebacker, Akeba, uh, they are out for South Carolina. So we'll get more of an update from Shane Beamer throughout the week on this SEC opener on the road for Georgia. And then finally, two quick notes from outside the SEC here for a moment. Notre Dame lost again, this time to Marshall. And we joked about this on Saturday. You know, once again, Notre Dame completely giving kind of a lofty preseason ranking, totally undeserving of all of that. And then the, I guess the one like sort of big takeaway, you know, for me on this is – this is the kind of game that Brian Kelly would never would have lost. Like Brian Kelly did not lose games when favored. They won 40 something straight when he was a point spread favorite. Did not lose to unranked teams. They had 
long, long winning streak against unranked opponents. Kelly may have never beaten elite teams at Notre Dame, and he never was going to. They just didn't have enough talent to do that. But he was a good enough coach. They didn't lose to bad teams or teams of a lesser caliber than they were. And you can't say that about Marcus Freeman right now. Uh, this is an 0 2 start. And even if one of those losses to Ohio State, that's not a great feeling right now. That, you know, the idea that there was going to be this easy handing of the baton to Freeman, who's going to take it and run with it. They've recruited pretty well during the offseason. But this team's a little bit of a mess on the field right now. I think you point some of the finger of blame at that on Freeman, who absolutely looks like a rookie head coach who's in over his head at the moment. Brian Kelly does not lose that game on Saturday against Marshall. Kelly just never did that kind of stuff while he was at uh, Notre Dame. But that's uh, a little bit of a mess for the Irish here right now. A team that was ranked in the top five to begin the season, nowhere near that caliber. And then you got Scott Frost getting fired at Nebraska. What's interesting about this is, is that it, had they waited a couple of more weeks to fire him into like the beginning of October, they would actually would have saved like seven and a half million, like whatever the buyout was, it got reduced down to seven and a half million dollars. They would have saved millions of dollars by by waiting to to fire him. They just didn't want it. They wanted to sort of have a clean slate. They're willing to spend extra money to do that. Trev Albert, uh, uh, the the Nebraska uh, athletic director said in the press conference yesterday that uh, they're going to give him his full contract. They're going to, you know, you know, take care of the buyout as they're they're supposed to. They just wanted him gone right now, and it's amazing. Look, I always thought that that Frost was probably a little bit inflated. I think there were some people that were really working hard to make you think that he was a brilliant coach because he was friendly. He was, he was very friendly with a lot of guys in the media, so he had a lot of advocates within the media. Just that's just fairly obvious. That's what was going on. Uh, but nonetheless, I still sort of hate this for him. This is a this is a former Nebraska player. Uh, Lincoln is as much a home to him as anything. You had the undefeated season at UCF. You go back to your alma mater. And to have it end this badly, that's a really tough story. And for Frost as a coach, hard to come back from this. You know, hard to, to recast yourself after failing so miserably and spectacularly here at uh, uh, Lincoln. Now, he's not the first one to fail in that Nebraska job. But no one's failed worse than Frost has, and Frost was kind of a Nebraska guy. I want to say one more thing about this, and we're going to move on. I used to be of the belief that, hey, if you're at a place like Nebraska where you don't have high school talent in your own state you can pull from, then you have no chance of winning anymore. I actually feel less that way than I used to. The truth is, is and it's been kind of relayed to me, that Nebraska actually has a pretty built-out NIL program. They have a lot of alumni very supportive of the team even through these sort of lean years that nebraska actually has a little bit of an nil presence and even prior to nil recruiting nationally had kind of already gotten a little bit more in vogue so i'm not going to say never for a team like nebraska being good again that's cold there and that may be the biggest obstacle towards success you know for them the fact that it's so cold during the winter but even for like an sec team like tennessee which also kind of used to be a power now kind of isn't doesn't have great high school football in its own state although i would say the sort of middle tennessee area is kind of getting a little bit better from a high school standpoint but but still not a great state for high school football even for a school like tennessee i'm probably a little bit less likely than i used to be to say oh they'll never be what they once were because i do think nil changes things i think the ability to recruit nationally changes things you know the way in which we're kind of more connected as a country because of social media and things like that just makes all that more possible so even for a Nebraska, you know, like the old, you know, Tom Osborne days in the 90s, that seems like a really long time ago now, and they'll probably never be quite that good again. But you won't hear me say something maybe like I would have said in the past of, and because of the lack of access to elite players, they'll never be that again. It's hard, but it's not quite impossible for them or maybe anybody else who kind of finds themselves in a similar set of circumstances. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, couple of things here just for a moment. I want you to go to dognation.com. And when you go to dognation.com, you'll see our Atlanta Braves Dog Nation fan poll. We ask you a question each and every week. You have a chance to vote on that and let your voice be heard about what you feel about the Georgia Bulldogs. Always a great way to, for you to react and do some fun stuff there on that. We appreciate the Atlanta Braves being a part of it. You can also register there to win a pack, family four pack of tickets for an upcoming Braves game, which is really fun. And speaking of the Atlanta Braves, 
the drive for five is on right now. Now, when it comes to Georgia, we're saying go for two and 22. But for the Braves, it's the drive for five. Trying to win a fifth consecutive division title and getting ready to come back home and do that. Battling against the New York Mets with National League East foes, the the Phillies and the, the Nationals kind of coming in here. We want you in Truist Park for this push towards the postseason of the Atlanta Braves. It all goes down on a great homestand September the 16th to the 21st. That's coming up here in a few days. Braves back home looking for a great homestand. Want you to be a part of it. Also, don't forget, on September 20th, that's the Tuesday night, the first 15,000 fans through the door also get the Ron Washington windmill wash bobblehead. You know Ron Washington, the great third base coach of the Braves, that, that windmill uh, signal that he gives when he wants to run to score from third. Well, that's honored with the bobblehead. And yeah, the arm actually spins and does the windmill move. So it's really cool to see Wash getting his own bobblehead there. And it'd be great to get one of those coming up on Tuesday, September 20th. So go to Braves.com slash tickets and you can get more on that today. That is Braves.com slash tickets. We'll see you there at Truist Park for the stretch run here of the Braves this season. The drive for five, a fifth consecutive National League East pennant. And of course, a chance to beat up on those Mets. And I take that division from them. That's really fun to think about as the Braves try to get back to the postseason with championship aspirations there of their own. Braves.com slash tickets for a lot more on that. All right, a couple of golden shoes. And these are actually kind of left over from last week. We're going to have a lot of golden shoes this week trying to take care of a lot of folks who sent some good stuff to us last week and some folks who sent some good stuff for us this week here too, including our buddy Mad Dog. He says, uh, start him young, raise him right. You see a Georgia fan letting his young Georgia fan, little baby, let it be known how he feels about the Florida Gators. It's pretty funny stuff from uh, Mike the Mad Dog there on that. Yeah, a lot of Georgia fans uh, having fun at the expense of these Gators. How about this from Elijah Pitts? He says, my girl and me behind enemy lines here, sporting some Georgia gear and conquering those lousy, stinking Gators. So you see Elijah there holding on to a Gator. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I don't believe I'd do that. A great looking photo of the happy couple, though. Uh, you love to see the gator all taped up on the mouth like these gators are on the field there as well all bite all bark no bite for them but good stuff from elijah we'll make a golden shoe for him there for sure and lousy stinking gators about 4995 days since they won a national championship y'all we're getting close to five grand on that for florida it's gonna keep climbing on after that too and now inside of uh 50 days uh just 49 days from now uh, dogs back in jacksonville beating up on a uh, florida again that's our gator hater countdown we will see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia we'll talk to you then everybody and on the podcast i'm now the rs andrews podcast cool down so i reiterate what i said during the show that for those of you who are apple podcast listeners or those of you who know people who have been apple podcast listeners we are going to get this fixed it's not perfect today although there is i think a slight chance the show does appear on apple for reasons i'll never be able to explain but i am at least partially curious to see that actually happens today but one way or another in the next couple of days i'm actually pretty confident we're gonna get this fixed it is a serious issue like it's not the kind of thing where it's like you know it's not like user error it's not like oh well one person's just pushed the wrong button if we'll just push the right button i'll be fixed it ain't that uh it's more serious than that but i do believe that we can get it fixed here pretty soon so stay with us stay patient don't give up on us uh we're coming back to you very very soon on that platform uh we're gonna get it fixed here Uh, i'll take a couple of comments here really quickly um uh got a comment here from big squeeze o on twitter who says about Georgia being number one that preseason rankings are stupid and exist for two reasons one to hype early season matchups to the masses and two to help the college football playoff committee with its first ranking there should not be a poll taken until every division one team has played four games it's important to know the CFP committee takes a lot of pride in voting differently than the the AP poll does that's why the the rankings always look as different as they do but like I don't think that Georgia fans need to be anxious about being number one as I said before like your days of being able to sneak up or hide or you know be underrated those days are just over and maybe there was a little bit of suspicion kind of baked into the price on Georgia to begin the year but when you see how Georgia's looked through two games compared to how the other elite teams have looked I mean somebody's got to be number one and I would say that Georgia's the most deserving of that of all it doesn't mean anything to be number one through two weeks but it does suggest that the people who wanted to throw dirt on georgia before the year began they were just wrong about that and as we said before when we kind of introduced our i guess our new slogan for the year go for two and 22 that 
you can do that, that, that you don't have to accept, well, I guess, you know, happy to win a national championship last year and kind of suffered through a, what Nick Saban called a rebuilding year. Not here. No rebuilding year here. Uh, the goal, the mission, the statement ought to be to win it all. And Georgia's not going to be, as Kirby Smart said, just a one-hit wonder. That's not what they're trying to be. They're trying to be more than that. And you have every right to be able to do that. And through two weeks to be given the number one ranking, even if it doesn't really mean anything, and it's just symbolic, what it does suggest is is that as a very realistic possibility where Georgia could also be by the end of this year there as well. Um, Lee Bonner also pointing out the Jermaine Burton struggles, in terms, at least in terms of the stat line. Yeah, I'm not going to say something bad about Jermaine just because that's just not really what we do, but it was a lot of arrogance on the part of Alabama, not just the fans, but the program itself, to think that somehow they were going to just magically make Jermaine Burton into a far greater player than he was while he was at Georgia. Y'all, it's not like Burton wasn't on the field, and it's not like he wasn't targeted. And I know he had the big game um, you know, that day against Mississippi State and JT Daniels' debut, but in retrospect, that entire day just sort of feels like an outlier for you, Chigay. Um, I'm not quite so sure how consequential that game was for what Georgia became along its way to winning a national championship. I think that Jermaine Burton is a good player. I'm sure he'll have some good games for Alabama before the season is done. But the idea that Jermaine Burton was going to be their 2022 version, what Jamison Williams was for them last year, I just don't think that was ever really in the cards. I don't. Nor do I feel that way about the uh, – you know about the the Louisville transfer at wide receiver either that's just not you know these are guys that had been on the field and had been good not great and you're not good enough to tran- transform good players into great players right now I don't think that Bill O'Brien is that level of offensive coordinator now I do think that Bryce Young's a sensational quarterback and I think that he kind of showed you some of that on Saturday even in kind of a otherwise lackluster game for Alabama but you know, there was a lot of arrogance in the offseason that Bama could take a bunch of transfer players and do way more with them than their previous teams had done. Ricks on defense, Burton on offense. You know, we'll still see how it all works out for Jameer Gibbs eventually. I think some of that has been proven to be a little overstated. I think it's an interesting comment. So we'll do this each and every day. It's our podcast cool down presented by R.S. Andrews. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised. The price is promised. You can trust them on that today. And we'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.